Hello, Westside. My name is Adam, and I am the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church. Look forward to being with you guys live in a couple weeks. Uh, if you are listening to this message online or through our podcast, I want to thank you for your time as well. In the seven weeks leading up to Easter, we're looking at seven times in the book of John where Jesus makes a statement where he says, I am. The book of John was written to help us understand the nature of Jesus' mission and who he was. And, and, and when we learn who Jesus says he is, my hope is we learn a little bit about who we are as well. Last fall, my buddy and I uh, went to a Chiefs game. I'm lucky enough to be a pastor of someone here at church who has season tickets and got me a great deal on some great seats. These are the type of seats that ruin your viewing experience uh, in any other possible seat ever, right? I mean, they're just so good. That's whatever you're going to, that's going to be the standard you're going to compare anything else to for the rest of your life. And and for me, I'm, I'm kind of a, a petty person sometimes. Like, this is what I mean by that. When, when, you know, there's a big crowd at Arrowhead getting into the gate and, and you go through the electronic scanner or whatever, and then there's a fork in the road, right? And you can go either one way towards the field or the other way up that spiral up to the cheap seats. And there's nothing better than scoffing at the thought of sitting so far away, like, oh, how does the other half live? Imagine sitting in a seat that began with the number 400, <laughs> right? And, and you're just cackling like a supervillain on your way to the good seats. You know how to tell you got some good seats? If you got to show an usher your ticket, right? Because they don't, they don't just let anybody into this section. You got to prove that you belong. I like that kind of feeling, I love the feeling of showing my ticket and walking past all the scrubs that are going to sit in way worse seats than me. Sometimes exclusivity feels like a virtue. We like the way it feels. I'm just being honest. So much, I talk about this all the time, so much about the airline industry is built on our desire to be the first on the plane to maximize our comfort. Think about it. You can pay more money just to get on the plane first sometimes. And they come up with really fancy names for it, like on Southwest when you're boarding. It's like, uh, psh, uh, yes, we will now uh, be accepting, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, our premium Platinum Plus Poop Don't Stink members uh, may board at this time. Right, right. Like, I've never flown first class, but I really, really want to. I want to know what life is like on the other side of that curtain. So far, it has eluded me, but one day, I will discover what true life is, true luxury. The stadium usher... The first class curtain, these are the gatekeepers to amazing experiences. Even if we don't choose exclusivity or, or if you're repelled by it, sometimes we have no other choice than to be exclusive. Exclusivity becomes a necessity. One of my high strengths is includer. So I, I want to make sure everybody's included and sometimes that's hard. You know, like if you've ever planned a birthday party for your kid or some type of party where you actually can't invite every single person you'd like to, then it's hard to sit down and think, well, who's going to make the list and who isn't? Sometimes a party reflects how much we can afford, not how many friends we have. Exclusive tickets, airplane seats, party invitations, we love to know that we're in. And if we're honest, there's other times where we also get some pleasure in knowing that while we're in, others are out. This instinct of exclusive access is especially poisonous when we apply it to God. 
This concept is part of what Jesus came to confront. The book of John highlights Jesus' opposition to the mindset of some religious leaders who are obsessed with protecting their exclusive access to God. Just about every week in this series, we've looked at a conversation between Jesus and a group of people called the Pharisees. These were folks who prioritized strict obedience to God's law with very, very, very intricate interpretations. Last week in John 8, two different times, the Pharisees tested Jesus. In John 9, the Pharisees are, are, are clashing swords with Jesus uh, uh, around a healing he had performed. And in John 10, we're going to see Jesus clash with the Pharisees once again. We'll be reading from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the imagery that Jesus uses here is telling. When addressing some of the most respected and well-educated members of the community, he chooses his metaphor, his illustration, to be one of the humblest members of society, a lowly shepherd. Being a shepherd was, was stinky grunt work. Shepherds were considered, again, kind of on the lower tier of society. Jesus is using an illustration that would have been well beneath his audience, these very prestigious members of first century society. The Pharisees thought Jesus stood in their way. Jesus is saying that there was no getting around him. Right? If you're, if you're coming into a sheepfold by another way, you're a thief and a robber. There's one entrance. There's one exit. There is no access to God apart from Christ. You don't gain access to God through your own morality. The Pharisees loved keeping track of who was in or out by their standards. And when Jesus implicates that they are trying to enter by climbing in another way, he's telling the people who are so self-righteous about thinking they're in, he's telling them, actually, you're out. When he has brought out all his own, verse 4 says, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. The idea of people following God as sheep follow a shepherd is, is woven all throughout the scriptures, most famously in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here's the thing. Sheep are not the smartest animals. This is, this is, not, a, this is not a compliment when Jesus compares humans to sheep. They kind of go along with the herd, and the shepherd has to pay close attention to all the sheep, including the green pastures where they grazed. A shepherd would kind of rotate the flock around. They wouldn't let them stay and eat in one pasture for too long. Otherwise, it would, it would kill the plants. The shepherd would take great care not to let the sheep stay in the same spot for too long. When the shepherd would lead the flock down a steep hillside, the shepherd had to form a path for the sheep to walk. They had to uh, chart the course because if a sheep were to just bowl straight down a hill, they could take a tumble or fall over a cliff or maybe die. And so the shepherd would lead a sheep down the hill through switchbacks, and kind of colloquially, these became known as the path of righteousness. And so we get this image of Psalm 23 of, of God leading us down through safety, 
down uh, to preserve our lives. We're putting our trust in God to lead us on the path of righteousness, to keep us out of danger. I love that. So it's helpful for me uh, in the 21st century to understand some of these things so that we can fully grasp the imagery that Jesus is using. The sheep listen to me, he says, because they know my voice. Jesus is speaking to a skeptical group of people, saying that if they were truly sheep, which is a metaphor for God's people, if, you're, if you were truly one of God's people, then you would listen to me. And they weren't quite getting it. So then he kind of doubles down. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus is gonna stick with, with this shepherd motif, only he's gonna take it to another level. I imagine him thinking, all right, all right, let's try this another way. And here we go. Again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So here's our I am statement. I'm not sure it's quite as catchy as the others. Right, like a couple weeks ago, I am the bread of life. Oh, sir, give us this bread always, they said. Like, how do I, how do I attain the bread of life? Or, or last week, I am the light of the world. Now that's inspiring. Right? Oh, I, I want to follow, follow this light. I want to have that light shine on my life. I am the gate. I'm, I'm sorry, what? The, the gate. Tell us, tell, us, tell us about the gate. Comparing yourself to a doorway, does that strike you as a little odd? Jesus spoke before about knowing his sheep but the second time around, he's intensifying his argument. Jesus spoke about uh, the sheepfold in the village before, but now we get a different picture. When the sheep didn't return to the village at night, but stayed out on the hillsides, they were collected into simple pens. These were open spaces enclosed by a wall. I got the old school illustrated Bible picture for you. I was very excited to find this. See, there was an opening where sheep could go in and go out, but there was no door. What would happen is to protect the flock overnight, the shepherd would literally lie down in the entrance so that nothing would get in and nothing would go out except through him. Now, I like this eye in the gate stuff a little bit more. How about you? That, that is inspiring. The shepherd laying down in the doorway. Jesus says, I am the gate. All who come before me, he said, are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, there it is again. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wasn't the first person to show up and claim to be the Messiah. There were lots of folks who came before him and did the same thing. Many others had tried to convince people that they were God's chosen one, the Messiah who would lead God's people back to glory. Jesus says all of them, imposters. When Jesus says he is the gate, he's saying that it's through him alone that we gain access to God, that we gain access to life abundant, that we gain access to God and are saved. He offers abundant life, and by comparison, anything else leads only to death and destruction. Jesus is the gate, claiming this. I, you know, there's certain phrases and themes that, that run throughout this entire series, all of these conversations Jesus had. And, and one of the common things, in my view, 
is that when he's saying these types of things to the type of people like the Pharisees, this is the type of stuff that gets you crucified. I am the gate. That was one more uh, block, one more addition to the Pharisees' case to eliminate Jesus. Jesus is claiming he decides who's in and out, not the Pharisees. Now the problem comes when we try and be a little like the Pharisees and put ourselves in Jesus' place. We try to be like that usher at Arrowhead or that first class curtain on the plane. Friends, Jesus is the gate, but we are not the gatekeepers. But we try and and gatekeep by setting limits. One of the things as a pastor I hear a lot, even at our church, is why I like a church that isn't too big. And I try and say politely, well, you didn't mind when we made room for you. I notice very few people think the church is getting too big when they try to join. Funny how that works. It's interesting to me that we like to say, well, can I come? But throughout Jesus' ministry, his message was, y'all come. There's a little Cape Girardeau flavor for you. Y'all come. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Those with ears, let them hear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus casts a wide net. Do we do the same? Or do we prefer to set limits and gatekeep because exclusivity is more comfortable for us? Another way we gatekeep is by keeping score. We tend to think that our sins are forgivable, but other people's sins, those are the really bad ones. This is the mindset of a Pharisee. We want Jesus to give us mercy, but we want to see other people get what they deserve. Right? And just like the Pharisees, we view ourselves as somehow different or especially deserving. Everyone likes to think that they are in while having a list of reasons that others are out. And the ultimate form of exclusivity, the ultimate form of gatekeeping is who we believe has access to God. Who's in and who's out. Who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. Who goes to hell. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is from their website. Jehovah's Witnesses believe, according to their interpretation of Revelation 14, that 144,000 people will spend eternity in heaven. There are over 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses today. I'll let you do the math. It's a little awkward. Now, it's super complicated, and, and, and we don't have time to to go over everything this morning. But in the New Testament, it does speak of those who are God's elect. God's elect. So there are a lot of folks who think that you're either elected and you're predestined to go to heaven, or the opposite, that you're predestined to go to hell. Not much you can do about it. It's already decided. And again, what's interesting to me is I haven't met one person who believes in predestination that doesn't also believe that they're elect. That's just interesting to me. So friends, if we're not careful, we can become like the Pharisees and become so preoccupied with who's in or who's out that we actually miss out on the abundant life that Christ offers us. Jesus is the gate, we are not the gatekeepers. And friends, this is good news. Isn't it a relief not to have that responsibility? Divine judgment is not in the human job description, and I'm glad. 
Billy Graham, beloved evangelist, put it well. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. So this week, let's put away our, our kind of sneaky desire to revel in exclusivity. Let's, let's put away our lists of, of who's in and who's out, who's worthy of our love or attention and who's not. Let's, let's resist the lure of enjoying who's out. On Ash Wednesday, I got a text from dear friends here at church and it said that their child uh, had been admitted uh, to Children's Hospital downtown, uh, needed to have uh, a procedure. And I texted them, I'll be there after the service. And their response was, oh, no, no, don't, don't drive all the way down here. It's going to be late. Visiting hours are over at 9. Let's, let's just talk tomorrow. I scoff at visiting hours. Ha! You know why? Because hospitals, man, as a pastor, there are plenty of places where I am looked at with suspicion, right? I've said often, I actually, like, if you introduce me to your friends, I prefer to say, yeah, we go to church together, rather than, I, I try and, like, hold on for people to find out that I'm a pastor, because one of two things happen. They either stop cursing or apologize for cursing in my presence, or they begin explaining when the last time was they were at church and why it's been so long, right? And I, that's just not necessarily what I'm interested in at the moment, but people feel this like guilt with the pastors around, okay? But at the hospital, man, if you're a pastor, they roll out the red carpet for you. There's even special parking sometimes. Again, exclusivity. We love it. Right? And so I actually keep, I wore my fancy schmancy name tag because I keep one of these in my car for just such an occasion that if I'm ever out and about and somebody's at the hospital, this is like a badge. Right, And so I, I, get, I get down to, to children's, and I don't know if you've ever been to children's, and I hope you haven't, but, but their security is really tight, as it should be. And, and so before you gain entry to the hospital, before you can come in, there's a security desk, there's a security gate, and, and they get your ID, they ask that you verify the patient you're going to see. Sometimes they'll even buzz up and, and, and make sure that that person knows that it's the plan for you to be there. And so I'm getting all this set up, and like I said, it's, it's, it's at visiting hours closing. And I just, I say to the guard, I got, my, I got my badge with the cross on it, prominently displayed. And I said, hey man, uh, a child from my congregation was just admitted to a room. And he said, right this way, sir, come on in. See, I didn't get to go in because of who I am, but because of who I'm with. I didn't get past the gate on my own. I got past the gate because I'm with Jesus. Friends, this is the difference between the mindset of a Pharisee and the mindset of a Christian. We have access to abundant life, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us, laying down his life so we could enter in through the gate and find the life abundant that he offers each and every one of us. And everybody said, Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being our great shepherd who shows us the way to life, who doesn't just, who doesn't just come and say, do as I say, not as I do, but do as I have done for you. God, we admit that 
a lot of times we like to be on kind of a VIP list. And we recognize that what your life says is that you didn't just come for the beautiful people. You didn't just come for the important people. You didn't just come for the perfect people because those people don't exist. But you came to seek and save that which was lost. We thank you for your great love for us. Laying down your life. No greater love is there than this. You said to lay down your life for your friends. So help us not to keep a list of, of who's out while we enjoy the exclusivity of being in, but help us to live in such a way and to speak in such a way that invites others in past the gate just like we have, have been welcomed so that they can find the life that you have called us to, the life that you offer us, abundant and life eternal. And everybody said, amen.